Hello and welcome to the latest edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. My name is Mark Sennett. I'm the CEO of Western Business Media, which is the publisher of Health and Safety Matters magazine. This podcast comes out every fortnight on a Monday. And HSM provides all the latest news and products and prosecutions to the health and safety sector. And you can check out our website for all of that on www.hsmsearch.com. And you can go there and you can see all the latest CPD webinars. And you can also get access to our e-newsletter by signing up for free, which comes out twice a week. Or you can sign up to get a copy of the magazine for free, which goes out six times a year. So we're delighted that this podcast is sponsored by the Health and Safety event. The health and safety event takes place at the NEC in Birmingham and the new date for that is the 27th and 28th of April 2021 and the health and safety event is co-located with the fire safety event, the facility event, main tech, the emergency services show and the security event. Now if you want to register to attend for free or for more information on the show all you need to do is go to www.healthandsafetyevent.com. So as always we start off with the news, the biggest stories that have come out of the sector in the last fortnight and to be honest there won't be a bigger story than this all year in my opinion. So the story I want to cover first is the latest health and safety executive figures show a record low in workplace fatalities. The health and safety executive, the HSC, has released its annual figures for the number of work-related fatalities for 2019-2020, which, as I said, have dropped to a record low. This provisional annual data for work-related fatalities revealed that 111 workers were fatally injured at work between April 2019 and March 2020. That's a rate of 0.34 deaths per 100,000 workers, which is the lowest year on record. This represents a fall of 38 deaths in the previous year. But to be honest, this is likely to be extenuated due to the impact of COVID-19 as there was you know, a drop in the final two months of the year because obviously we were working from home. So that has to be taken into account. So in line with previous years is fatal injury statistics. These figures don't include death from occupational disease and COVID-19's effects are therefore not part of these figures. So just make that clear. So while there is a long-term reduction in the number of annual fatalities, this number is actually halved in the last 20 years, which is great news. Uh, aside from the current fall, the numbers remained broadly flat in the recent years. So although there is a drop from this, 111 is roughly in line with where we've been for previous few years. So the new figures show the spread of fatal injuries across various sectors. So 40 fatal industries happened to construction workers, 20 fatal industries happened in the agricultural or fishing sectors, five fatal injuries happened in the waste and recycling sector. The three most common causes of fatal incidents continue to be working at height, being struck by a moving vehicle or being struck by a moving object. And that all collectively accounts for 60% of those 111 fatalities. The new figures continue to highlight the risk to older workers, unfortunately. 27% of fatal injuries in this period were to age 60 or older workers. And you know, even though workers of that age group only make about 10% of the workforce. In addition, sadly, members of the public continue to be killed in connection with work-related incidents. In 2019-2020, 51 members of the public were killed as a result of work-connected incidents. It's also worth saying that mesothelioma, which is contracted through past exposure to asbestos, is one of the few work-related deaths that can be counted directly. So 2,446 fatalities in Great Britain happened in 2018. This is slightly lower than the average of 2,550 for the previous five years. 
The current figures are largely a consequence of occupational asbestos exposure that occurred before 1980. Annual mesothelioma deaths are expected to fall beneath the current levels for the years beyond 2020. So just to round off on that, it's worth saying that a fuller assessment of work-related ill health and injuries, which will draw on the HSE's full range of data sources, will be provided as part of the overall annual health and safety statistics, which will be released on the 4th of November later this year. So as we go back to that, obviously no workplace fatality is a, is a good number, but 111 is a drop. And that's a drop of 27%, as I said earlier. And you know, during my time covering the sector over the last eight to 10 years, although it's broadly flat, as I said in recent years, we are talking about record lows and another record low. And yeah, you can say, well, maybe it's been slightly skewed because the last couple of months of that period, you know, people working from home because of COVID-19. But you know, let's take the win where we can in this situation. It's, it's on a positive downward trend, although somewhat flat. 111 is too many, but it continues to decrease. So I think in that situation, we should we should dwell on the positive there. So our next story is the Home Secretary has set out plans to crack down on abuse and violence against shop workers. The steps which are detailed in the Home Office's response to a call for evidence on this issue are designed to improve support for victims and ensure that perpetrators face justice. This will include working with the National Retail Crime Steering Group on a best practice guide to support staff in reporting these crimes strengthening and making the full use of existing laws and improve a dating share between business and police. This call for evidence was open for 12 weeks and organisations and individuals were asked to contribute to the government's understanding of the problem. Responses were sought from retailers, trade associations and unions, as well as those working in the retail industry. Nearly three and a half thousand individuals and businesses and other organisations actually took part in this survey. The majority of the respondents believed abuse towards shop staff has increased and a significant number said they don't report incidents to the police. You know, that's that's truly a sad statistic that, you know, most of them didn't because we don't really know quite how widespread this issue is. And I've seen incidents of this myself, which I'll, I'll come back to in a moment. The government has responded to set out a programme of work designed to address the drivers of reporting violence and assaults against shop workers and provide effective support to victims in reporting such crimes. The Sentencing Council is also reviewing its guidelines for courts on assaults and published interim guidance in April 2020, clarifying that it should be treated as an aggravating factor when assaults involve cases about threatening to do with COVID-19, such as spitting or coughing. And this is obviously now an aggravating factor for any offence committed against someone doing a service to the public. Well, I've seen this firsthand. You know, we'll remember the absolute pandemonium we had when people thought we were going to run out of toilet roll at the beginning of this pandemic. And I saw people fighting the arse, arguing with staff in a well-known supermarket. No shop worker, no retail worker, or no worker, full stop actually, should be subject to any form of abuse. And to think that anyone could use the threats of a pandemic of spitting and coughing is just truly disgusting in my mind. So I fully support the strengthening of these guidelines, especially to be providing a service to the public with the Sentencing Council has increased the, you know, the, it's to be an aggravating factor. It's just not on, it's disgusting, it shouldn't happen. Everyone has a right to go to work safely and come home safe. It's just a fundamental right that people should have and it follows on nicely from the workplace fatality figures I just said. Kit Malthouse, who's the Minister for State of Crime and Policing said, shot workers are the beating hearts of our communities and violence or abuse against them is totally unacceptable. We're determined to drive down these crimes and crucially ensure that shop workers are fully supported in reporting incidents. 
to the police. The government is taking action to tackle violent crime of all types, including recruiting 20,000 new police officers over the next three years. So it's a couple of interesting things that the government still seems to be committing to adding 20,000 new police officers to the front line, despite you know the economic situation we're in due to the pandemic. So that's good news. We can't we can't say that. It's good to the government still sticking to that pledge. But I think the most worrying thing that I'm seeing here is the fact that people of those three and a half thousand people that took part in it, still many of these cases are just not reported. People are just putting up with the abuse that they're getting. And that's not okay. And it can be particularly concerning for people that are lone workers. It could be someone working in a shop, a garage or whatever, on their own late at night, and they've got no one to protect them. And it just gets even worse. No one should be subjected to abuse. And they certainly shouldn't feel like it's pointless to report a crime of this nature. And that brings us nicely on to our first guest, who's Nicole Vasquez. I've known Nicole a while. She runs a fantastic conference every year to do with loan worker protection. Her business is also a training business that provides training for loan workers as well in various different scenarios, owning, you know, using actors to, to play the roles in this in the training. It's fantastic. It's a fantastic business. Nicole is really experienced in the loan worker sector. And in fact, her conference has helped the HSE review its views and its guidance on loan working. So I was delighted to sit down with Nicole earlier in the week and here's what she had to say. Hi Nicole, how are you? Hi Mark, I'm good thanks, good to hear from you. Well you've been involved in the loan worker sector for a while, obviously you run the Loan Worker Live conference and you have a training business that also offers training in that sector. So during your career covering loan working, how has that sector changed? Well that's a huge question. Um, I've been involved in loan working for pretty much 25 years now and I've got to say that since that um, has begun it has changed dramatically that you really wouldn't recognise it from 25 years ago. Firstly there's been a massive increase in the number of loan workers and the variety of activities that people do Um, but I I think that's probably linked mainly to kind of advances in IT Um, and this has freed people up to work away from base or working at home. Automation has led to more loan workers in utilities and different industries and of course you can't ignore the financial impact that has changed the way businesses work so their appetite for loan working has definitely changed over the last 25 years and I think that um, businesses across many sectors are much more aware of it now either to utilise loan workers but also of the risks and understanding that they do have to address these risks specifically if they are going to utilise loan working. So when we're talking about loan workers what are the risks you know the impact of working on your own? Okay, so I think there are three kind of categories of risk for loan workers. There's the traditional risk, so kind of health and safety things, slips, trips and falls, which are no more likely if you're loan working, obviously, but may have a greater impact if there is an incident because there's nobody there to call for help and support. Um, And I think the other thing to mention on this is because we have an ageing workforce, when we come across these kind of traditional risks for health and safety, there's also the medical issues and risks. You may have people who are working for you that have underlying medical conditions that are increasing with their age but are still out there um, loan working and you may not be aware of those issues so there's a traditional health and safety staff Um, and then where I started all of this from was in the personal safety and security field so that was looking at issues around violence and aggression managing verbal abuse physical abuse 
um, theft, threats against people. And anybody really that is customer or public facing can be subjected to these. And actually loan working, again, it can increase the level of risk in this area because we do know that actually personal safety and security risks are more likely to occur if somebody's working on their own. You know, if you think of a retail environment, if I was somebody wanting to rob, a store, for example, I'm more likely to choose the time to do that when somebody is working on their own. And I'm more likely to lose my temper with a lone member of staff than I would do if there was you and a colleague stood behind the till. So there's those two. But then the third area that I think people are becoming more aware of recently is the well-being and mental health side of it. And that's really just the increase in stress created by isolation. And let's be honest, the biggest issue with lone working is just not having somebody sat next to you or stood next to you to say, what do you think? What would you do? And there are people out there doing really difficult jobs. You know, if you're a social worker or, you know, working with um, people who've got, got a history of violence and aggression, to do that on your own on a day-to-day basis, I think is quite challenging for you. Um, I worked last year with the HSE as part of their key stakeholder group when they were updating their loan worker um, guidance. And I was really proud to have championed the well-being and mental health piece to get that included into their um, categories. So now if you read their guidance, they do talk about those three areas, the traditional health and safety risks, personal safety and security, and then the well-being and, and mental health side of it as well. Well, I know, you know, your involvement with the HSC through that is something you're rightly very proud of. And I know that a lot of that happened on the back of your successful Lone Worker Live conference. But before we go on to talk about that, let's talk about businesses approach to risk management. So how have businesses approached managing risks changed over the years in relation to loan working? Okay, so I guess the obvious thing is that technology now plays a much more important part in controlling loan working risk than it did 25 years ago, or even 10 years ago, I would say. And technology has really advanced massively over the last decade to allow companies to utilise to utilise technology to trace their loan workers when they're out and about, to be able to send information out to their loan workers if there are incidents, for example, terrorist incidents or gas leaks, you know, as varied as that, it really is as varied as that. But also the newest technology coming about is about monitoring the well-being of um, staff as well. So even things like taking blood pressure and and heart rate, etc., amazingly now comes in with this loan working technology. So I think businesses' approach has been to rely more more on technology. Um, I'm going to say, if I'm honest, I don't think that's always a good thing because it means that we take the human side out of it. And one of the challenges of loan working, as I've said earlier, is that not having a human being to kind of talk to. And I think home and remote working brings challenges for managers within um, businesses. There is a greater awareness of loan working, definitely. People are um, better at understanding how to do risk assessments that include the potential for loan working. But I still think, if I'm honest, there's still a long way to go. And let's talk about the current pandemic, the situation we're in. What impact has COVID-19 had on loan working? So post-COVID, I don't think that loan working has fundamentally changed. However, I do think that potentially the frequency and situations that people loan work in um, by necessity have changed. So people are coming back to work, but there are still some people working at home. So both people then end up loan working. The people that come back into the business may end up in an office or a warehouse or a store on their own. But then there's also those people still left at home. And again, the HSE included home working for the first time in their, their guidance this year 
it. So it's really important to recognise that group of people. I think the risks potentially haven't really changed, although there is a perception of change of risks. And I think that there are things that people are more anxious about. So, for example, loan workers returning to work might be more worried about potential infection. And if they're anxious, then they're not focused necessarily on their work, which means if there is a problem, it's more likely to develop before they spot it. The the demands on loan workers as they come back to work, I think, have increased. The workload is going to be much greater than it was previously. And the expectations of workers, you know, if you're working from home, when does work stop and home life start? And I'm not sure businesses have really got that kind of tied down with a lot of people at the moment. So I think that's a real issue. Go back to um, aggression and violence. We know that there are certain issues around COVID-19 that are being potential trigger points for um, aggression for loan workers. For example, I'm doing some work in the rail industry at the moment, whereas we know the government have said people have to wear face coverings when they come onto the railway and use public transport. Well, as you can imagine, a lot of people don't want to do that. So who are the people that are going to have to try and enforce that role? And it's your loan workers on the station, it's the guards on the train, it's the people on the gate line, etc. And so there are different points of triggers, if you like, um, that could create aggression for loan workers. You've also got people going out to visit people in their own homes. They maybe haven't seen somebody for three or four months. This could be somebody with mental health problems who perhaps their, their treatment has slid over the last three or four months. We don't know what state of mind they're in. So there are real issues there. And of course, from a loan worker's point of view, I hate to say it, but, you know, the last four or five months, I'm thinking, blimey, I've got to get back into a training room soon. My knowledge and my skills will have faded over that period of time. So if I'm a lone worker and it is only me to rely on, that in itself can create a problem from if I'm using technical equipment. Do I remember how this works? Who's safety checked it over the last two or three months for me? You know, is that going to happen before I go out there on my own? Through to do I have the skills and do I remember how to diffuse situations if they happen and of course then there is that well-being and mental health piece in terms of the work-life balance going back to work I think that there's going to be a lot of blurred boundaries going forward and I think that's challenging for loan workers. So let's talk about the other side of your business now Nicole if you don't mind. Uh, yeah, obviously, sure. obviously you launched a loan work alive conference and yeah. you run a successful training business on that we've just talked about covid i know that we've talked um off air a few times about just what a dramatic impact this pandemic's had on your business and mine so can you tell us a bit more about um the conference and your training business please yeah sure well in terms of worthwhile training um although we do provide consultancy and advice when working with clients um predominantly we design and deliver face-to-face training So that's often using drama-based workshops with actors. So obviously over the last few months, that's been challenging. Um, However, we have seen an increase in awareness and requests for our e-learning and training films. So that's a real positive. And the week before last, we actually managed to get out and film four new training films, which I have to say with the COVID-19 restrictions was not an easy task. But we're really, really pleased with the output that we've got on there. So that's been really good. But I'm not sure the next time we're going to get into a training room. I'm I'm really not. trying desperately to think of different ways to do this. Um, in terms of Lone Worker Safety Live, the whole idea of this is to try and promote it as a community and get people involved, whether you are a lone worker yourself, whether you are somebody that's health and safety advisor who's giving advice and guidance to people, or whether you are you know, a manager who's been tasked with doing this and you've no idea where to start. So, 
it's it's been a difficult year I've got to be honest we were supposed to be in October as you as you well know that just felt a little bit too soon and I'm glad that actually we preempted a lot of the kind of regulations and, and have decided way back at the beginning of this to move it through to February in 2021 it feels more comfortable it also feels like it's something that people really will want to come to because you know, not only are we going to be tackling the traditional stuff that we've talked about, we are going to be looking at how the new norm is going to have an impact on loan working and how it's going to have an impact on businesses. Um, and we're delighted again that this year we've got um, involvement from the HSE once again. I mean, as you said, it was the HSE's involvement in our first um, event that actually prompted them to look at their uh, guidance and to review their guidance because they realised there was much more to loan working than they perhaps they'd considered. Um, last year was the year when we worked with them to help review this and then this year they're going to come back and say and here you go this is what it now means and this is what it looks like and let's see how we can work together. So I think it's going to be really useful and again for us it's those three strands. It's the traditional health and safety of loan working. It's the personal safety and security. And it is the well-being and mental health piece. And I think I'm, I'm really keen to make sure that we do that broad sweep across all of those things. But it is challenging. I'm going to be honest. It's, it's not going to be an easy year for anybody in events, I don't think. But hopefully, you know, people will know we're, we're there and that we can support them. So finishing off then, Nicole, could you remind us of the date in February next year and how people can get in touch and also how people can get in touch with you to do worthwhile training if they're interested? So I know that you've obviously had to move the event from October and I know you also work closely with me to do with helping put on the content for the health and safety event, which is, as you know, is going to take place in April. So in terms of people wanting to come to your event in February, what's the date, please? So the date is 23rd of February this year. Um, that, I think, feels like a good time to do it. It's it's far enough away from Christmas. It means that hopefully people will still have budgets before their budgets run out in March time. So that, that's kind of the idea of it. Um, you can find us on www.loanworkersafetylive.com and you can register your interest that way. So um, there are lots of different prices on there, depending on whether you're an IOSH member or you know whether you're a charity, etc. So it's really worth having a look at what deals there are for, for different different organisations if you come along. Um, in terms of worthwhile training, again, we've got a website, worthwhiletraining.com. You can find us there. But I'm always happy if people just pick up the phone and give us a shout. You know, I'm always happy to just chat, talk about what it is that they need. We don't have products A, B and C. It's a case of you tell us what you need. We'll work out something for you. Brilliant, Carl. It's great to see you again. Thanks for your time. You're welcome. Good to talk to you. Take care. So now back to the news. And the next news story I've got for you is one in five bosses are not health and safety trained. Managers obviously play a crucial role in preventing work-related accidents and inner health. But one in five companies don't train them in health and safety. And this is according to a new report published by IOSH, the Institution of Occupational Safety and Health. And they say the manager is the best place to communicate messages around worker protection while also being able to recognise and act on new hazards. In a new report that IOSH has released, which is called How to Manage Your People Safely, it includes the results of a YouGov survey where nearly 700 company decision makers from a whole range of sectors were asked about how health and safety is managed in their workplace. 
Of the respondents, 96% agree that line managers are important in ensuring that people who report to them are safe and healthy in the workplace, with 21% saying investigations into accidents had shown a management failure was a contributing factor. However, 19% said their organisations don't train line managers in health and safety, which, according to IOSH, is a cause of deep concern, which, of course, we can all agree with. Most of these organisations are small or medium-priced enterprises, with 250 employees or less. So Duncan Spencer, who is head of advice and practice at IOSH, said, As with all risks, management are accountable for delivering a safe workforce and performance. First-line managers for ensuring controls are implemented, middle managers for providing resources to deliver controls and the leadership for settling the direction. All need different health and safety competence for their role, which needs underpinning with useful training they can apply in practice. Our survey suggests that the vast majority of businesses recognise that this is the case, but it's really worrying that so many don't train their managers in health and safety. Without this training, how do these line managers know how to properly assess is something that could, well, how they properly assess anything that could cause an accident or could harm someone's health, and how can they know what they need to do if there's a health and safety risk? IOSH has gone on to basically urge all organisations to ensure the line managers do have access to health and safety training. And IOSH also say this is particularly crucial at the current time as businesses across sectors are reopening their premises and having to manage risks in the wake of a COVID-19 pandemic. So yeah, it's it's a surprising statistic, although maybe I shouldn't be surprised these days, unfortunately, but, you know, only, you know, one in five bosses, not health and safety trained. One in five line managers, that means, in health and safety. So a really interesting survey by IOSH and, you know, 700 companies involved now, 700 direct bosses interviewed in that. So interesting statistic, but IOSH is absolutely right. Health and safety training is paramount, making sure people are competent to make decisions to make sure that people are health and safe in the workplace is you know, fundamentally key. It's what all of you guys do for a living and you're all trained in this. And what I are saying there is, particularly in the way people are returning to work, how can you be competent to identify health and safety or welfare risks if you haven't had adequate training? And I think it's a fair point. So I'm going to move on to our final news story for the day. And we're back on to PPE. Obviously, it's a topic that's you know, very, very much in the news at the moment with COVID-19. And there's some temporary good news here from the government. So the government has announced that it's temporarily scrapping VAT on PPE. And this has been extended until the end of October. This will say if care, home and business is dealing with coronavirus outbreak, about £155 million, according to the government. The decision which is aimed at making it, as I said earlier, easier and cheaper for care homes, charities and businesses to inquire this vital kit, comes after a temporary zero rate VAT was applied for PPE sales for an initial three months in the 1st of May to the 31st of July. This extension now, the zero rate will apply for six months and in total consumers, including care homes, home providers and businesses are estimated to save £155 million, like I said a moment ago. Ministers had previously removed import duties from PPE and medical supplies intended to assist the response to the coronavirus pandemic in April 2020 to ensure that more essential equipment could get to the front line quicker. EU law governing VAT, which you know the UK is bound to until the end of the transitional period later this year, unless of course that's extended, we don't know yet. Who knew that Brexit would not be the thing we're talking about most this year, hey? So this, this EU law to do with VAT requires the UK to charge VAT on this equipment, but the government has acted under an exceptional basis, which is allowed by EU rules during health emergencies. 
to announce this temporary extension to the zero rate VAT on PPE. Funding has been provided by DHSC to support the centralised procurement and supply of PPE, including supply to NHS and care providers. It's already acted to speed up PPE supply, harnessing you know, the whole UK industry, scouring the world for new stocks and creating a new distribution network to send PPE to frontline staff. So in relation to this, Financial Secretary to the Treasury, Jesse Norman, said extending the zero VAT rate on PPE will provide the relief needed to care homes in particular so that many people as possible can continue to be protected against coronavirus. So obviously it's not good news in the sense it was still in the middle of a pandemic. You know, there's, there's no good news in that sense. But it is good news that the government continued to take action on this to, to help bring down costs. And this is now an extension to what I said earlier of this zero VAT on PPE products, which has been there since 1st of May, but will now continue um, till later in the year. So in that sense, you know, anything that can get things in quicker, cut through red tape and can reduce costs on things like this has to be welcomed um, to see to the government make this move. So I think that's a nice positive story to, to end on there. I would like to remind everyone that we are currently running a PPE survey, which is really vital in our opinion, we do this every year, but it's particularly pertinent now with PPE being the forefront of all of your minds about your needs, the changing needs of the PPE market. This is something that we really, really do need your input on. And you can do so by going to our website, which is hsmsearch.com. And you'll see a news story on there that says how you how you can get involved. But, it, but it, if you can't find it on there for any reason, what I would say is we send out a newsletter twice a week um, from HSM. You can sign up to that for free. And right at the top of that, I put a link on both the Monday and the Wednesday e-newsletter right at the top saying click here to get involved. And we're offering £100 Amazon vouchers to any of you that um, take part. And we'll, you know, a winner will be taken from a lucky draw of that to try and win that £100 Amazon voucher. But we'll then do a depth report in the PP Insights Guide which HSM publishes in October. And it will really give a key insight into the, the changing PPE needs that you all have, especially in this current time. So please, please do take part of that. You've got until the end of July to do so. So moving on now to our final guest for the day. Delighted that I was joined by John Rowan. John is the product line manager for Fall Protection at MSA Safety. I sat down with John earlier in the week and we talked about how MSA is continuing to help people in these challenging times and it took a look at what's perhaps next for the sector. Afternoon John, how are you? Yeah, I'm really good, thank you. Are you? Yeah, great, great. Well, I want to talk about MSA today. How are things at MSA and how have you found the last few months? It's obviously been quite a challenging time for all of us. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's certainly been an interesting few months. I think if anyone had said this time last year we'd be operating in a global pandemic, I'm pretty sure none of us would have believed it. So yeah, interesting times. MSA recognises the critical need for PPE and we've continued to work in the effort to mitigate the spread of COVID-19. Um, as a, a leader in safety, MSA is an essential business and has continued to operate on manufacturing facilities during this time of national emergency or crisis. You know, we are, we, we've continued to operate, but we, you know, additional cleaning methods. And we're really, as with the MSA mission, protecting the health and safety of our, of our global workforce. You know, we have to keep, keep working and, and keep the manufacturing facilities open because we know many of our customers continue to work in the time of global crisis. And that includes, 
you know, first responders or people who are, um, you know, helping to keep our infrastructure functioning. So we, you know, we, we're also there protecting, you know, the, the, the first line first responders from the NHS and people that might be working in utilities or, or keeping that infrastructure moving. You know, we are an essential business for the safety industry and we've been continuing to operate in our manufacturing facilities during lockdown while still focusing on protecting the health and safety of our workforce. Many of our customers require protection to continue to, to continue to work. And as I say, that does include those first responders on the front line. So for us, the past, the past few months have been very much about balancing customers' needs and employee safety around the globe. We're still busy and we're pleased to be able to continue support you know, many industries supplying PPE and safety equipment. As with our mission, you know, what we really want to do is send people home safely to their families at the end of each day. And that mission has been brought into particular focus recently. You know, I'm, I'm super proud to work for MSA and, and I've seen everyone at MSA pull together to help in whatever way they can during this crisis. So what do you think are the biggest challenges facing the safety industry over the next few months? You know, I think it's about getting people back to work safely with the correct PPE. And with that comes giving workers the confidence that they can go back to work safely. And, you know, our range of PPE solutions are not going to solve COVID-19, but they are there to ensure people can get back to work safely um, and feel protected from workplace hazards. Uh, so that's really our challenge is just getting people back and, and keeping them safe. What type of safety solutions are customers looking for at the minute? Have trends changed because of the pandemic? You know, we are seeing a huge increase um, in the demand for integrated head and face protection. And that's really particularly focused within the UK construction industry. That sort of integrated approach is something that we've offered for a while now. And that really means like a safety helmet that can integrate with spectacles or full face visors. And since the pandemic, we've really seen a definite trend towards those, those solutions rather than separate individual pieces of PPE. And really, I think that's from a, a practical workplace, you know, need and, and, and insight. Issuing workers with a single integrated safety helmet with visors or glasses, it really does offer a lot of a lot of solution um, advantages. Having that single piece of PPE elimin- eliminates the risk of a worker leaving an element behind. So, you know, we know or, or a site safety manager knows they're protected. The visor or full face covering is built into the helmet. Um, and can be readily pulled down into place whenever needed. It, it, it limits the the damage or or, or or separate safety glasses being vulnerable to scuffs um, as they're take, constantly taken off or stored stored somewhere. They're also a lot you know easily lost or misplaced. So integrating them into the helmet keeps them in one place so everyone knows where they are. And then then there's, there's the matter of correcting vision. Historically, workers who wear spectacles have required employers to issue costly personal prescription safety glasses. In contrast, with an integrated solution, clearly the, the full face visor comes over the spectacles and it's a deep enough angle to, to accommodate everyday glasses with ease. Finally, you must examine protection and peripheral vision. The length and facial contour of visor is critically important. Longer and correctly profiled visors, that, you know, they offer the best, best protection. Separate visor and safety glasses solutions rarely offer a fit that minimizes ingress, dust, or debris. They are able to often restrict peripheral vision. Over glasses solutions offer that full adjustability and comfort, you know, with it all being designed in, in one piece, we, we, we're really able to focus on the comfort. And our VGuard 950 is doing really well at the minute, and, it, and it's, it's one of the products of this integrated protection. 
just to go back to, you know, we sort of developed that in conjunction with 250 businesses and it was beta tested with more than 300 workers. So it's the largest helmet of its category in the market. What's next for MSA? Here at MSA, you know, we work in a continuous cycle of, of innovation um, and we're always looking at how we can improve our product portfolio. But right now, we're really focused on helping businesses return to work safely. Um, and that, as I said earlier, that's really looking at the right equipment that will help them feel protected, that can really drive people to get back to work. So just rounding off, how can people get in touch with MSA if they want to find out more? Yeah, you know, I think the easiest way to get in touch with us is, is via our website, via our website, which is www.msasafety.com. Our sales teams will always be happy to talk to you. So, I, you know, it's probably best to reach out via the website and, um, you know, an MSA associate or executive will, will definitely be in touch with you. John, thanks for your time. I really appreciate it. It's great to speak to you as always. Yeah, thank you very much, Mark. Really enjoyed it. MSA, we're actually doing a webinar with MSA on the 16th September. Our sister publication, IPE, it's Industrial Barnet and Equipment, is doing a webinar with MSA on fall protection in complex environments. That takes place, as I said, 16th of September 2020 at 10.30 a.m. You get CPD if you attend that. And what that webinar will do is what you need to know to get it right when it comes to working at height. So if you'd like to register to attend that webinar, all you need to do is go to IPE website, which is www.ipesearch.co.uk. And that's all we've got time for this edition of the Health and Safety Matters podcast. But if you want to see all the latest health and safety news, all you need to do is go to our website, which is www.hsmsearch.com. We've got a range of CPD webinars on there, which you can go to the webinars tab on the main navigation and get CPD for listening to. You can also subscribe to our twice a week e-newsletter for free, or you can sign up to get a copy of the magazine for free. We send it out six times a year. Just register via the website, which as I said is hsmsearch.com. As I said at the start, this podcast comes out every fortnight on a Monday. Please do share and like it with your colleagues. Give us a positive review on iTunes, Podbeam, YouTube, or whatever platform that you use. We certainly appreciate your feedback. If you want to submit any questions for us to ask anybody, use the hashtag HSM Podcast. And I'd like to take this opportunity once again to thank our sponsors, the Health and Safety Event, and as you'll have seen, the date for that is now into April 2021. It's 27th and 28th of April 2021. It takes place at the NEC in Birmingham, co-located with the Facilities Event, the Emergency Services Show, the Fire Safety Event, the Security Event, and Main Tech. And if you'd like to register to attend for free, all you need to do is go to healthandsafetyevent.com. So we'll be back in a fortnight's time. So thanks once again for joining us, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Mm-hmm.